All right, last thing. Uh, it's really hot in here, so I'm already a sweater, so this could get weird for the first couple of rows. Okay, this is FYI. Turn again to Psalm 73. Um, and like I said, this is going to be a bit heavy, and let me give you the intro to why. So we started the book of Psalms at the start of this summer with an effort and a desire to see the Psalms become something that we consistently pray through and seek for the transformation of our hearts. Uh, we said that yeah, Psalms, we can glean certain doctrines, certain ideas about who God is, what he wants, that type of thing from the text, but so much of this we just wanted to change us. That the posture of our hearts would be motivated and moved by the words written by these men back in the day. Okay? Psalm 73, I think for us, might be the toughest one for us to wrestle with. Because as I look back over everything we've preached, we did Psalm 1, which was a great introduction, meditate on the Word of God, kind of gives us the primer and the intro for the entire book. Then we did, uh, we did Psalm 8, right, which is kind of more of a, a praise psalm, a seeking of God psalm. And then we said that really the first half to two-thirds of the book of Psalms is filled with a bunch of lament, right, which is filled with a bunch of brokenness in the pursuit of God's people to see that fixed in remedy. And so Psalm 13, it started us off. Psalm 13 was, how long, O Lord, right? How long will I experience this pain? How, how long will I have to sit in this trial? And so we, we saw this lament, this internal lament that we had, and said, God, how long? Right? How, how do we have to endure this? When will you come? And we knew, and we talked about, that the only answer to that question would be the gospel, right? It's, it's the advent of Christ. It's Jesus coming in. It's the presence of God. It's his work. It's not something we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just remove pain from us. Instead, it's the gospel. Psalm 23, we lamented our trials, right? As we see God as shepherd, although we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the trials of the day, we see, it. we see David lamenting the fact that his life is filled and surrounded by pain, trial, and enemy. And we answered, listen, the only answer for that is the gospel, right? It's that God is the good shepherd who does indeed lead us by still waters. He does indeed restore our souls. So the answer was the gospel. We lament, the answer is the gospel. Psalm 42, we lamented our distance from God. We lamented the reality that at times God feels far. Sometimes because of our doing, right? Sometimes it's just that felt emotion even though it's never true. God is always here and present. And yet we lamented the times like the son of Korah who wrote it where he felt far from him. And we learned that the only answer was the gospel. But it was the answer that Jesus on the cross proclaimed, it is finished, and as he died, the veil was torn in two, and access was granted to him 24-7. So there was no longer distance. We'd have to be in the temple. We could greet him and be with him at all times, at any point of the day, those who know and love him. Access was granted. And so the gospel is the answer to the lament of our distance from God. And then last week, Psalm 51, we lamented our sin. That, that we're broken, right? That we make terrible decisions. That we, we exclaim, God, create in me a clean heart. Make me white. Make me pure. I can't do it myself. So the gospel was the answer for the lament of our sin. Psalm 73. I think we do something different with. Because I think the author, what he's going to do is he's going to exclaim kind of his own internal struggle as he attempts, I think, to lament well the culture that surrounds him. Right? The pain, the hurt, the destruction, the trial, the problems, the brokenness of the culture that surrounds 
Asaph. And I think we see his tension and his wrestle with it, and it, it makes me understand our tension and wrestle with how sometimes instead of lamenting the brokenness of our culture, we just simply judge it and try and fix it ourselves. So, so, so we, don't, we don't often say, okay, well, this, this part's broken. Lord, please come redeem and fix. We say, I'm going to vote this way and take care of it. We insert ourselves and say, man, this legislation, this thing, my intervention is going to be the, this Facebook post is going to change everybody. And so instead of depending on the gospel to be the answer for the lamenting that we should have, we instead, I think, insert ourselves and say, no, but I got this one. This is not okay. And I think as we go through this, we'll see, I think, why we do this. Uh, Why I think Asaph himself struggles with this idea to lament well the brokenness that surrounds him. And and let let me just be clear. When I say lament, I just mean kind of a deep sadness, a regretful sadness for the state of affairs in any given situation. Because the world right now is a mess. And, and let me be clear, I'm, I don't like to be the guy who's, who says, ah, it's just, you know, this is the worst it's ever been, because let's, not, let's be honest, right? We live in America in 2016, right? But if you're living in communist China during the, the Cultural Revolution, they're thinking that's the worst time in history. Right? If, if you're living in parts of Africa today that are continuously in civil war and children are being abducted, they're thinking this is the worst it's ever been. So let's be very clear. For us here, even as we experience some bit of persecution, look around the world. For us, yes, maybe this is the worst it's ever been, but let us not overstate, but in the midst of that, this world is clearly a mess right now. And we cannot undersell that. And I think when we do, we miss the right opportunity to put our hearts in a place that allow us to serve this city, this state, this country, and this world the way the church is supposed to. And so today, my hope is, is that we, we, we learn to lament. That, 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 see, uh, that we learn to have pity with piety, right? Uh, that it's not just this pity without all the, the religious, robust need for good, centered praxis, a practical application of what the Bible says about the way that we love and have compassion over the brokenness of anything, especially now our world. We need to have pity with piety. We need to lament so we can serve. No, I don't need to probably run through too much just to tell you about the brokenness of this world. If you've read Google News any given day, you just see an entire ticker tape of thing after thing after thing after thing that breaks our hearts. And so we've got bombings and destruction. We have murders. We have beheadings. We have persecution across all sorts of faiths across the entire world. We have incredible division in our country across, I would say, probably more lines than ever before. And so we have, it seems to be, right, so you have left and right, you have liberal and conservative, you have Republican, Republican and Democrat, you have LGBTQ and those against, right, you have uh, black and white, you have brown and white, you have white and white, black and black, on and on and on, in every single place you look, there is division. And this is supposed to be the Christian country, right? And we see this pain and this brokenness and this division all over the place. Wait a minute, man. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, where's the church in all this? 
Because the Bible that I tend to read says that the church, right, is supposed to be the peacemakers, the mediators, the people who communicate with all sides to say, let us come and experience the goodness and the love of God in the midst of the truth of who he is. And yet oftentimes what happens even in the church is we align with one of these two ideologies instead of the one ideology of the church that Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven and earth. I think we don't get there because I don't think we start with lament all that well. I think we start with pride. I think we start with selfishness. I think we start with ourselves. And when you start with yourself, like me, I'm just as right, just as indicted, like me, we are prone to only do what's best for us. Jesus, the Bible, the gospel, he did what was best for us. And that was to lay his life, his desires down. We are to be him. So this is all the intro, okay? I want to share one more quote. Um, actually, two more. But this one first from Brennan Manning. The late Brennan Manning is an amazing author, communicating grace and I think just some really neat and profound ways that are super important, I think, healthy for, for those who want to follow Christ. But he said this, and he was, it was... Uh, in the midst of uh, being questioned about abortion. He said, today the danger of the pro-life position, which I vigorously support, and, and so do I, please do not hear anything different here, is that it can be frighteningly selective. The rights of the unborn and the dignity of the age, worn, are pieces of the same pro-life fabric. We weep at the unjustified destruction of the unborn, again, as we should, but did we also weep when the evening news reported from Arkansas that a black family had been shotgunned out of a white neighborhood? Is our pro-life stance selective? Is, is yours? Is, is it just for, for this one group, which, which it's, okay, that, we get that one because we're almost across the board on that one. But then we have to go beyond that. And so I think as we look at the cultural issues of the day, as we seek to lament well, you have to actually love well. You actually have to be pro-life and all of it. Regardless of who did what, what crime they may have committed or not, to lament and to be broken is not contingent on whether someone was correct or not. The church is to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. Why is this so difficult for us? And we want to go and love this, this world, this nation, this city that way? If we don't lament and love, we cannot go well and serve. We have no position, we have no place. And so again, as we work through Asaph's psalm today, I think we get the tension in his own heart of this same idea, this tension to, to be prone to move towards himself and not a laying down for the sake of those around, okay? Um, verse one says this, here we go. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. And so right at the start, I'm thinking, remember what the Psalms are? They're prayers. They're songs of worship to God to be sung in the temple. The brutal honesty of this man to write this on the front end and say, to God, in this moment, I was envious of the sin that others got to commit. And I was envious of the benefits that they got because their lives were filled with this sin. See, he's starting with him. 
Right? So, so again, this, this, this proneness, I think, of us to say, well, man, okay, maybe uh, I don't want to judge that because I want that. Maybe I don't want to have to come in and rationalize and really think to myself, I'm just as bad as that. And so when we can do that, maybe we could love in a way that understands where people are coming from. I often say this. I often say, right, we're each and every one of us, regardless of how long you've been a Christian, right? And, and listen, I hear you. Many of you in here probably aren't even believers, right? I, I don't know all of your stories. So for those of you who are not Christians, same, same story, right? We're all about three or four bad decisions away from catastrophe. Like there's just not one of us in here that is not prone to every bad thing you've ever heard. It's just the reality of sin. It's the reality that Asaph exclaims here, I looked upon the world and I saw what they got and I knew they attained it by sinful means and I still wanted it God. And I see that throughout and pervasive in my own, whole, in my own uh, heart and in our churches and in our culture. How, how are we to communicate gospel when, when we just glorify what they do and then when they do it in the public we then chastise it as if that's not the same sin that, resists, that exists in our own soul. We're all about three or four bad decisions away from catastrophe. I was, uh, on a more lighthearted note, I was um, at the airport and Verity will attest to this. She's in the back with our little boy and uh, he wasn't born yet but we were on our way to Cabo San Lucas for a, uh, for a little family trip. My parents were coming along and it was just going to be a sweet trip. It was our, our baby moon, right, like two or three months before Finn uh, joined us in this world. And so we were like, let's get away. Let's just relax. Let's make a really nice trip out of this, okay? So we get to the airport, and, um, and I'm standing there, and the southwest line is about, I don't know, 200 people deep. I mean, that sucker is just going back. We're flying American or something like that, right? So our line is relatively short. And so as we're waiting in line, um, I say to Verity, I say, um, hey, good thing we're not in the Southwest line, okay? The, the lady behind, uh, the, the ticket agent behind the counter thinks I said, I wish we were in the Southwest line. So she's thinking I'm, I'm, you know, making fun of American, making fun of her, attacking her. And she says, you know what, sir? If you want to be in that line, go right ahead. I wanted to kill someone, right? And I felt this anger in my soul that is laughable now, but in the moment was extremely sinful. Because I immediately went, what'd you say? Now this is my, I'm not even, what'd you say? She said, if you want to stand in that line, go right ahead. I said, I said, and I, my voice is raised, I said, I said, I didn't want to stand in that line, ma'am. I'm happy to be in this line. She goes, no, you didn't. I heard you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I am losing my mind. And in the middle of the airport, I am screaming at this woman. That's not what I said. You're a terrible customer service representative. You shouldn't be a server. On and on and on. <laughs> Meanwhile, my poor wife is huddled in the corner, holding her belly, hoping Finley doesn't hear any of this inside there. Right? Like, he doesn't know what he's doing, well, you know. Now, I bring up that story. 
I bring up that story because the reality is listen, nothing ended up happening, although then she goes, well then you know what, your mom can't board the plane then. Right? So she wouldn't check in my mother because she was mad at me. Right? And so nothing ended up happening there. We ended up getting on the flight. I kept yelling. This is in the middle of a terrible witness. But I remember thinking afterwards, like, man, I wonder if I could get her fired. Like, I wonder what I could do so that, like, she really knows that she shouldn't have messed with me. Now, I'm being super honest, and some of you guys be thinking, like, dude, you're a total awful person. And the truth is, is, like, that's just true. Like, I am. I'm an awful, like, I... I have anger, right? I get mad, and I do not restrain it well. And I was about one to two bad decisions away from being in jail that day. Like, it just happens. Sin is that bad. Do not glorify it. Do not seek it. When you see people living it, do not rejoice it. And then when they get publicly exposed for it, do not condemn them for it either. That's not your job. Because you and I are just as wicked and evil and in need of Jesus as the rest of them. Okay. Again, if we don't lament, if we can't get this heart posture correct, what business do we have seeking to preach the gospel to this world? Okay. All right, let's keep going. Verse 6. Therefore, pride, he, so he goes on right here, sorry. He goes on, and, and I think it's interesting the way it's written, because I wonder if even as he's writing, he's starting to have kind of this, as he reflects on like, man, I was envious of it. I think he's having this transition, even as hard, even as he writes, he says this in verse six. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. He's seeing just the, the pointless aspect of the pursuit of the culture's ideologies. They scoff and speak with malice. Lawfully, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there a knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Um, as you read this and feel free to continue to go back and skim, but does this not sound like today? Is this not us? Is Asaph's culture, is his time, is his experience not something you or I in an open and honest moment could not pen ourselves? Let me go back. Is there not pride, envy, greed, violence, self-reliance, individualism, gossip, slander, and this constant God, what God attack on him and Christianity in our country? It's just they. Can we not write this? His world was not all that different from ours. And so I think as we can kind of say, okay, well, Asaph, well, how did you work through this, friend? How did, how did you approach this in a way that then allowed you to continue to write psalms that glorify God, to continue for your heart to praise Him, but then also sent you out to a people to be someone that was a light, to push back the darkness that was impending upon the people of Israel? How do we be these people? And I just wonder, when you look at the brokenness of this world, what emotions come forth? It's really simple. When, I mean, when you wake up in the morning, and, and, uh, and if you're like me, right, so wake up in the morning, 
and, and uh, I usually jump in the shower real quick. I got the phone in there, do a sh- like quick little Bible verse reading, set the day going, right? Uh, and then I'm on Google News. I'm like, okay, did anything crazy happen that I should be praying for today? And I, and I constantly am trying to ask my own heart, when that, that first one that I read that's negative, and, and if you've ever looked at any news site, usually the top 10 headlines are negative. Like, there's always negative stuff, there's, which is super unfortunate, and maybe that's media, I don't know, that's what we want to read, I guess. But it was negative, and I wonder, when, when that happens, when you open it up and you read it, what's the first emotion that's listening? Okay. Is it judgment? Is it apathy? Is it, I thank God that's not me? Is it, thank God I would never do that? Is it hatred? Or is it sadness? I, I think, and I, I think it's supposed to be sadness. I think it's supposed to be hurt. I think it's supposed to be pain. I think it's supposed to be grieving. I think. Because, okay, Christian, hear me. Now, again, you're not a Christian, but Christian, if you are, are his, right, the Holy Spirit lives in you. So Jesus, his, his spirit, his presence in your heart. So you would hope then the emotions that are elicited from a heart that is filled with the Holy Spirit, God's presence in you, that the emotion would be that of the emotion of Christ as he looks upon the broken world that he lived in and he weeps. Think of Jesus. Think think of Jesus as, as he comes and he's riding past Jerusalem and he looks upon Jerusalem and he just says that he begins to cry. He begins to weep. Because he looked upon the city and knew they had missed it. They missed him. And they were living their lives in a way that continually rejected him. Oh, Jerusalem, if you had just known the day of your visitation. If you had just known I'm here. If you just would not miss me. And he weeps over the brokenness of the city. What had been lost. Jesus, I love this story. I didn't even share this one reason, right? Jesus, he, he's, he's called to go heal his friend Lazarus, right? Remember, Martha, like, hey, Jesus, get over here, man. Like, your, your friend Lazarus is going to die. And then Jesus hangs out for two days before he goes. And then he gets to the house, and he walks up to Mary and Martha, and they say, you're too late. Lazarus didn't make it. He's dead. Where were you? And in that moment, Jesus, the Son of God, weeps because his friend has died. And I think probably because he sees his two other friends, Mary and Martha, in pain. Do you think that the Son of God, whom Colossians 1 tells us that everything was made through him, for him, by him, he is, he's still God in the flesh, did not know what was about to happen five minutes later? Do you think he didn't know that he was going to walk into that room and he was going to tell Lazarus to get up? course he knew. Was it not going to work for him? No. He knew, right? So Jesus said, okay, I'm going to give it two days. I'm going to go. And then even him knowing what he was about to do, even though he knew he was going to walk in and Lazarus would be living again, that Mary and Martha's tears would be dried up because once again, they are with their friend, even though he still weeps at the brokenness of this world that there even is death, that there is pain, that they are crying, even though he knew he was about to remedy the situation. He weeps. Before he moves and serves, he weeps. 
why can't we just weep, church? Like, why, why, can't we just, why can't we just be sad that whether they were armed or unarmed, that another person is dead? Why, why can't we just weep that regardless if they are the enemy or not the enemy, that they're now dead? Why can't we just not do what Christ says? You think when Christ looks over the city of Jerusalem, everyone in there was one of theirs? Or one of his? No, they were just people, his creation. Now we have the heart of Jesus and we cannot weep. What's going on? It's either our pride, it's either our selfishness, or it's just the flat-out reality that maybe we don't think Jesus was right to do that. No, Jesus, you, you should have, you should have, you should have done this. Hey, Jesus, you, you know, you, you should have come in there and you. No, no, he just, he just lamented the brokenness of this world. It's not just Jesus. I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, you see God in heaven grieving the brokenness of the world that He created. You think God didn't know his, his rescue plan, the ark of redemption? He knew all of it, yet his heart was grieved. We have the heart, we have the mind of Christ. Let us look like it. Okay. Um, yeah, we're going to land this in this last, little, this last little section with five uh, heart postures that I think um, Asaph is acknowledging are, are not helpful in this, and, and then five that, that are, that, that I want us to pursue, right? So reject and, and pursue. And so verse 16 says this. But when I thought how to understand this, okay, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. Swept up, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. This, this little section is this, this confession moment. I've been like, listen, God, now, now I see. I acknowledge who you are, what you're doing, what you're going to do, and shame on me for trying to assume your role. Because I'm not you. You're you. I'm just me who's sinful and broken like the rest of them in need of grace, mercy, and hope in the cross. And I love this confession. It's the vibe bad heart poshism. Mean, it's a broken world. Verse 16, I think, sloth and fear. Kind of this, this I, I, was, I was weary. Lord. I, I didn't want to have to go and engage this. It seemed too much for me to have to work through this, to work through the dynamic of God. How, how do I love this culture well when I seem to want to glorify it but also hate it so that I'm not part of it? And, and how do I do all this, God? That wearisomeness, this, this apathy, this I don't even want to engage. Church, this cannot be something we participate in. We must Engage. You have to have the conversations. You need to research. You need to pray. You need to have the conversations that the church should have. The reality is that everyone in this world, whether admitted or not, is looking for truth. And if they're not getting it from the church, they're getting it from somewhere else. So the church better preach truth. And it's not just my job. 
Right? It's not just Anthony's job. It's not just Randy's job. Not just Kelly's job. Lindsay, Curtis, Gary. I'm just going down the line. Go all the way. It's not just these people's jobs. It's the church's job. Preach the truth. Don't be afraid to learn. Ask questions. Engage. You want to find what's going on in the hearts of the LGBTQ community after Orlando, you need to go talk to a person who's in that community. You won't know until you do. You want to try and sift through Black Lives Matter, you need to sit down with a black person and ask them about Black Lives Matter. <coughs> I would expect the same thing from any person who wanted to judge my faith, wanted to judge Christianity, that they'd come and talk to a Bible-believing Christian. Do not have the conversations without engaging, without learning, without growing, without talking to people in the communities that you so easily and I so easily want to judge. We are not God. Asaph is realizing this. He's not God, right? So God, sorry for trying to assume your role. The next one is uh, doubt and self-reliance. Again, putting it on us. Verse 21, no bitterness. Verse 22, ignorance. And then petulance and brutishness. Okay. Uh, these, these kind of, uh, I'm, I'm going to control the situation type of things. Amongst ignorance, right? We don't even know what we're going to do. We don't even know the facts of the story. But we have our own opinions. And in this world and in our culture, opinion is king. This is not true. So, so, so we take things we don't know and then we live them out as if we do. And we even do it in a way that's arrogant. Excuse me. I'm going to have to have a sip of this. I apologize. Um, why is that? Uh, why, why, why can we not just lament, but then even, even if we can't do that, we actually then have to go the next step, and we actually have to act arrogantly. And, and let me be very clear. This is not all of you. Some of you... Honestly, they're some of the most loving, amazing, understanding, thoughtful people that honestly, when I get to sit down and talk to you, teach me more about how to love like Christ loves well, all the time. So, so some of you are like, That's not, I'm trying, dude. And, and listen, we're all trying. But it seems to be, it seems to be that the world needs more of us doing it right. God doesn't. God's in control. God's out. But the world, I think, needs the church to start getting in, getting in ass together and being able to grieve with people, being able to love well. Not taking on these heart postures that pull us from people, but rather adopting the ones we'll talk about and that push us towards people. Okay. I, I think that's the thing that's needed. There's a, um, a book called The Passion of the Western Mind. This guy, uh, Richard Tarnas. And I think I've shared this idea with you guys before, but um, throughout the book, he's He's talking about the development of Western civilization and how we got to where we're at today, specifically in our country, but the West in general. Um, and he says, as, as an agnostic atheist, kind of on the border, right, he says uh, that the reason why there has been kind of goodness and morality that has sustained the United States of America is because of the gospel. This is an agnostic atheist saying that, listen, the reason why uh, this nation has been able to live the way it lives, cooperate the way it cooperates, and do the things it's done in its flourishing is the gospel. Now, let me be very clear. He is not saying uh, uh, that America is a Christian nation. 
But he is saying, as someone who doesn't even believe the story, that the people inside of it seem to ascribe their morality to something bigger than themselves. And that he also then said, this is back in like 1978, that the more that the gospel is degraded from the culture of the West, the more there will begin to happen things like we see today. And I have to say he's right. And so the church, maybe now more than ever in the history of the world, because clearly there are still systemic issues across our nation that were not solved 30 years ago. There are not uh, gender problems that weren't solved 60, 70 years ago. There were issues that we thought we took care of 250 years ago. Right? There's just consistently this clamoring for us to want to sin and not live the way we're supposed to. May not be for the church. Okay. So let's adopt these ones instead. I land with 23 through 28 and we'll be done. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good for me to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works, that I may proclaim what you've done. So we draw near to God. We go to him. He must be everything for us so that Asaph could tell of his works to the world. It wasn't just so that we could all gather together and enjoy six really good, song, amazing songs by Curtis and the Man. We didn't try and come together as the people of God to worship God this morning just so that we would be able to give hugs and high fives. That's all part of it, and that's good, and I love community. If you know me, I'm an extrovert, so I've probably hugged everyone in here and you didn't even know it. But we pursue God... Okay, hear me. Some, listen, I get how a lot of this stuff is difficult, right? We, we have to engage with this. We have to ask questions. We have to talk to people. Right? We, we have to sometimes indict ourselves that we're not perfect, right? That we're broken. <clears throat> we have to pursue postures that maybe aren't natural to us. And I guarantee you they're not natural to us because your sin or your nature is sin. So pursue something better. Okay. These five, and I'm just run through them because we're running out of time a little bit here but reflective perseverance. And we constantly look back and move forward. Hope, man, hope. Something sorely lacking. Worship, dependence, and truth. Okay. Reflective perseverance, hope, worship, dependence, and truth. These, these postures of our heart, adopted by the people that just think about this. If, and again, if everyone in here who loves Christ, if you're a Christian, right, if you left here today, and as you read stuff, as you interacted with people that were the same as you, different you, somewhere in between, you were filled with reflective perseverance, hope, worship, dependence, and truth on God, entering into his presence. Man, how does that change? Two things. One, how you engage. And two, I don't remember the second one. It was just in my mind now. No, left wasn't good. Spirit didn't want it. Okay. Lesson Lord. How does it influence how you engage? How does it influence how you, you go? 
I don't know if we know that yet because I don't know if we've really done the first half. I, I, think I, have, I'll be, I think I have in glimpses. I truly am sitting down with Verity yesterday. She asked me how I'm doing. I said, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like I, things are good. You know, like, life's good. Family's good. Health's pretty good. Like, no, no real complaints. You know, church is good. And I just feel like there's more that I'm supposed to be living for. Like, I'm not, this sounds like such as, I know pastor's going to give you this weird plea. I'm just being, like, I just feel like there's more I'm supposed to be living for than what I am. I feel like there's an urgency that I'm supposed to be living with that I don't live with. I told you yesterday, I said, man, I just wonder if Jesus came back and he just sat down with me and said, hey, man, let's run through your day. Would I be excited about that? Like, would I be stoked to sit down with Jesus right now and say, hey, man, this is what I did today? Now, this morning, heck yeah, I've been prepping the Bible, we've been praying. But what happens Monday morning? If he came to me tomorrow night, no, I, hear me, please, I do not say this to guilt anything. This is not what this is because you are guiltless because of the cross. When we tell of his works, here's what we tell of. We tell of a God who became flesh, who lived the life you and I could never live. Right? So all the pain, all the struggle, all the sin, listen, he took that on him at the cross. When he died, that sin died with him. So as you give life, to, as you give your life to him, his goodness, his rights given to you, and as he has been raised again, we too are raised again, new lives in him, right? So this is not guilt, you feel no need for shame, right? Jesus clothed uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, he clothes us with righteousness. But I would like you to ask the question, like if he was just sitting with you today and he's like, let's just run through it, man. Some of the things that I knew is I wish I spent more time in prayer and lament. I wish I had the heart of God that just saw all this. And my first inclination was just like Jesus was to weep. Because I think in that weeping, I just see that as, man, I, I want to go. A friend here at the church, and I'm going to call him out. Just the other day, I get a text message from his daughter-in-law that says, oh, he's, you know, he's in the hospital. They're running tests and scans. And I, and I started to, to weep. Like I started, I, I fear gripped my heart. And I prayed for a long time. Okay. See, see, when we can lament, when we're, when we're scared, I think the natural response is, God, please, it's the gospel. And so like the rest of the Psalms, we see all these things being lamented. Would this one too not be the next policy, the next thing, the next status, the next blog you can write? Would it just be lament that leads us to service in a way nothing else can? Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thanks for, um, thanks for loving us in the midst of um, just sometimes just our silliness, our wickedness, our apathy. God, thanks for loving us in the midst of our pursuits to love you. Um, God, I'm reminded just of, just of the goodness of the gospel that in the midst of all this, Regardless of who we need to become, God, that you became everything for us because you knew we would never get there. 
would this lament begin with the idea that because of our own sin, we had to send the God who made us to the cross? Would that be the first thing that we as a church lament this morning? That we had to send our Savior to the death we deserved? Would our lament just carry from there into the brokenness and the undeserved problems and brokenness of our world? God, we pray that you would do work with it. You do work with our lament. You do work with our confession. God, you just change us from the inside out to make us more like Christ. We, I've tried for so long, God, just to do it myself, to be more Christ-like and to read more and do all that stuff. And God, I just need consistent transformation like the rest of us. Make us like you, individually and corporately. In the same way you ministered and loved this world, we would do the same. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Please just be blessed and celebrated by our worship today. In your name we pray, amen. As you move into this time of reflection, we do this just for a couple minutes, I want you to just look around this room because about two weeks ago, there was an event here called, uh, it's called the Night of Love for Orlando. And um, I wish our whole church was here that night. The same way we sit here right now. And I felt so convicted that I didn't go. I felt so convicted that we as a church, that the Christian church in our, and I don't mean redemption, the church in Flagstaff, so like, I don't know, 5,000 of us in the city. What, what, oh, this place only holds 900. Why don't we fill this place with 900 Christians? I talked to some of the people here about this here that night, and I don't get why the church didn't show up to a night of love for Orlando. Like, love's our thing. Like, true love, that, that's our thing. You can't love the way we're supposed to love in this world without God, and we have him, and yet, I just say to you, I'm sorry I didn't charge us to be here that night. So as we reflect, as we lament just the pain of of the world and the death and the decay, we're here now. There's 200 people in here. Pray, seek his face. Pray for our nation. Pray for our world. Just be broken. And let that posture carry us from this place and into singing. And Anthony will come up and continue to lead.